New series day. You guys ready for this? Table talk. Table talk. So many of life's major moments happen around a table. You have a wedding, a marriage occurs, and what do you do? You celebrate with a feast. You have a birthday in your house. You gather folks together and you celebrate around the table, much like we did with our family yesterday for Miles' birthday. You lose a loved one. You gather around the table. The big moments, but also the small everyday moments as well. On those quiet, reflective nights, sitting at a table alone as you enjoy a peaceful solitude with just you and your book. Or perhaps a romantic dinner for two by candlelight. Or a chaotic, crazy table full of love and dogs and kids who will bark nonstop. Yes, the kids bark sometimes at the dinner table. And you are fitting this all-important, we will eat together as a family and like it, in between school and work and soccer practice. We gather around the table because it is a central hub in our lives and we return to it again and again and again. And not just from the nourishment we receive from the food and the drink, but the nourishment we receive in good company. The table was also a central tool in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. You read through the Gospels and Jesus is always eating. It's full of accounts of him eating with others. He eats with his family at a wedding feast. He eats with his disciples, his friends. And he also eats with the religious leaders and strangers, the outcasts, the castaways, the shunned, the judged, the entitled and proud, the broken, and the humble. All were welcome and invited to Jesus' table. It was a table that was a place of connection, a place of shared brokenness and of shared blessing. So that's what we'll be exploring in this new series, Table Talk. At the conclusion of our series, it will all wrap up on Thanksgiving Eve, which you certainly want to mark your calendars. It's the night before Thanksgiving at 6 p.m., and we're going to look at how the table is a place of immense blessing. When, when we consider the Last Supper and how the table itself connects us to our heavenly banquet. In two weeks from now, we will look at the table as a place of shared brokenness, meaning that all are equal around the table. And the table itself is perhaps our strongest, most accessible evangelistic and missional tool at our disposal. So that's what we'll look at in two weeks. Next week, we'll look at the table being a place of connection, how our relationships deepen and strengthen when we meet at the table. But today, we're talking about one thing that is needed every single time we eat. What is something you need at each and every meal? Food. That's true. I'm not preaching on food, though, today, though, kind of. What else do you need at every meal? Drink. It's true. 
Thank you, Gary. <laughs> I see that smile. You're like, ah, he's going to like this. That's also true. I'm not preaching about drinks today. Bread? Yeah, we'll talk a little bit about bread. What? People. People? Okay. Silverware? Yeah. Yeah. So if you read the today's message on your bulletin, it might give you a hint. And everyone's like, oh, I'm supposed to read that thing. It's abstract. Yeah, Lana. Appetite. Our appetites. You ever try eating a meal when you're already full? (laughs) Don't raise your hand, (laughs) because I think we all have tried that. It doesn't go well. You need an appetite every single time you come to a table. You need an appetite. Anyone uh, really upset their mom or dad growing up by ruining your meal? You'll ruin your supper. You'll ruin your appetite, right? How many of us have heard of that comment? That is a universal experience. No matter where you're born, where you live, don't ruin your appetite. Appetite is having a hunger and a thirst, having a need that must be fulfilled. So what are you hungry for? What is it you crave? And I'm not talking about for dinner or for lunch, because it is about lunchtime, daylight savings. (laughs) But what do you hunger for and crave for your life? As beings created in the very image of God, we have an everlasting hunger that can only be satisfied by the one who created us. Consider Psalm 42, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? We long for that which only God can provide, but because of sin— We try and fill ourselves up on all this other junk, thinking it will satisfy, thinking it will be better than the meal to come. We seek approval, or we have these addictive appetites for all these things of the world that promise us that it will satisfy, but it never does. Whether it's, then, then, then we have wealth and stuff and things that we long for and we crave and we can never have enough. By being, by, by being these humans that crave and long for more, we're constantly trying to fill ourselves. Fill with these things, and we find they have zero spiritual nutritional value. But God gives us an invitation because he longs to feed us and fill us with life-giving and everlasting sustenance. And it can only come from him. So it is our hope together today to not spoil our spiritual supper, but to come hungry and thirsty to feast at the table of the Lord. Jesus invites you and me to his table. Consider this invitation he gave few years back when he walked this earth. He was traveling from one town to the next, and he had to travel—actually, he didn't have to. He chose to travel through Samaria, 
which if you know anything, you know Jews and Samaritans did not get along. They did not associate with each other. They did not interact unless it was a negative type of thing or a shunning or a scoffing. But Jesus deliberately entered into this space, sounds like Jesus, and in the scorching hot of midday, he stopped to rest at Jacob's well. And at this place, he uh, sat alone, for he sent his disciples to the next town to get some food. So let's read from God's true word, John chapter 4, starting at verse 7. And we'll go to verse 18. This is a story, an account that you are likely familiar with. And if perhaps you're not, but if you have read this one a lot of times, my invitation to you is close your eyes. Place yourself as a present eyewitness to the events that are happening and see what new things the Spirit works up within you. Hear the word of the Lord. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. Now the woman was surprised. For Jews, they refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. So she said to Jesus, You are a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? See, sometimes when something crazy happens, we just state the obvious because we can't fathom it. And that's what's happening here. And then Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift that God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Uh, But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said. And this well, it's very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob? Who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? So Jesus replied, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. No, it becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come back here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. And Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. For now, you have had five husbands, and you're not even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. We shall pause there. Our spiritual lives mirror our physical life. Just as we need actual physical food and water to live, our souls hunger and thirst, and we need spiritual food and water. 
We would never think of depriving ourselves of food or water when we are hungry or thirsty, but we so often deprive our souls. But Jesus offers us water for our everlasting spiritual thirst that can only be satisfied in him. Just as water is so essential to our physical life, his living water is essential to our spiritual life. Because without Jesus, we will never be satisfied. We will search and we will search and we will search and we will come up empty. But the living word, Jesus Christ, and his written word, the Bible, they can satisfy our hunger and our thirsty souls. Look at how quickly the, quickly the woman is ready and willing to accept the gift of Jesus. Please, sir, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again. I won't have to come back here to get water. Her desperate words reveal her desperate and dehydrated heart. And she also reveals she's confusing the physical need with a spiritual need. Because consider her answer a little bit deeper. I won't have to come back here to get water. They did not have plumbing in the ancient Middle East. They did not have faucets. They did not have filtered water or bottled water or smart water, which I don't even know what that is. Water is water. (laughs) Water is water. Anyway, Every single day, they had to gather water. It was, a, it was baked into the fabric of their daily lives. It was what it meant to exist, to gather water day in, day out. The idea of not having to gather water was not a consideration. It's just not what you do. You must gather water. But this woman, as we know, had a history. A history that comes with shame and pain and embarrassment. And we know this because she comes to get her water at the hottest part of the day. Everyone else would come in the early morning or late in the evening when it was cooler. Because this was a physically demanding task that required a walk, and it was not wise to do so in the hottest part of the day, except she's likely been there before in the cooler parts of the day. Been there when others were there. And others often talk. The woman came to the well because she was thirsty. She came to the well to receive the bare minimum of what was needed to live. And she came trying to avoid her shame and her embarrassment. But what happens? She meets Jesus Christ awaiting her. And you cannot hide your shame. You cannot hide your past, your hurts, your brokenness, or your unquenchable thirst in the presence of the one who created you. Jesus reveals to her that he knows all about her past. But instead of condemning her as everyone else has done when she has been at that well, he offers her the very thing she's been seeking all along. 
Because it is only in Christ that we can ever be satisfied. It is only in Christ that we will never be let down. It is only in Christ that we can find everlasting and complete fulfillment for our ever-aching souls. This woman had been searching and searching and searching to find meaning and fulfillment in her life. First husband, we don't know the circumstances, but nope. Second husband, not there. Third, fourth, fifth husband, still cannot fill this void within my soul. The man I'm with now, not even that. She knew she couldn't find what she needed. But she continued to search in all the wrong places. Our spiritual hunger and thirst can never be satisfied by the things of this world. And lest we be quick to judge this poor woman, I dare say this text forces us to consider ourselves in her place. Consider Jesus meeting you at the well. Jesus who tells this woman everything she ever did. Jesus who encounters you and will tell you everything you ever did. Jesus who alone knows how desperately your soul hungers and thirsts like a deer panting for water. What would he reveal to you and to me when he shows us all the ways we have been seeking satisfaction outside of him. When he alone can quench our never-ending thirst. You see, when you try and quench a spiritual thirst with worldly things, it is the same as drinking salt water when you're dehydrated. It may feel like it's helping at first, but it just makes things worse. It just makes things more desperate, and ultimately, it will lead to your demise. Salt water cannot quench your thirst, and the things of this world cannot quench the thirst of your soul. And this woman, she was trying to fulfill her spiritual appetite in all the wrong places, but then she encounters Jesus. And oh, does she encounter him. Let's read on to verse 25. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. What an ironic statement as he just explained everything to her. Isn't that beautiful? He will explain everything to us. And so Jesus told her, oh, sweet child, I am the Messiah. And the woman, what did she do? She left her water jar beside the well. She ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? And oh, they did. Oh, did they ever. Because the woman who hid in shame was transformed by the great love of Christ when she, before she would hide, now she ran to them and to tell them everything the Lord had done. Later on in John 4, it says, many Samaritans believed 
that Jesus was the Messiah because of her testimony. Praise God. Do you remember all the trouble the woman had gone through to get the water? Hottest part of the day, walking to the source in a place of some shame. After meeting Christ and having her longing fulfilled, she left that heavy water jar behind. She ran back to town. She left that behind just as she left her shame, just as she left her pain, her embarrassment, her brokenness, her sin, because she had encountered the only one who could make things right. She didn't just leave behind that water jug, but she considered the well for a moment. That place that that she obviously is trying to avoid when others are there because it's become a touch, a, a difficult touch point for her. It was a reminder of her public sin and how she chose to live her life. And what did Jesus do? He took that place of the well and he turned it into a table and he made it the central focus point of that woman's transformation. She will not tell others about the story of Jesus without talking about the well. In your story of transformation, you have these hard moments you don't want to revisit, but God can take that broken place and redeem it because it is a part of your story about God's story and what he is going to do with that brokenness made whole once more. And your story will be powerful because of that well that became a table in your life. That place is no longer a source of shame because it reflects and represents God's redemptive work in your life. And that is what Christ offers each and every one of us when we meet with him. To take our shame, to take our pain, to take our longing, and he will take all those things. And out of his great depth of love, he will transform us. Jesus says, come, all who are thirsty. Because the very words of God from Isaiah 55, come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. You who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen. Listen to me and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant, a never-ending promise, relationship with you, my faithful love promised to David. Only Jesus can give us what truly satisfies. Only in Jesus can our never-ending hunger be fulfilled? As Jesus says in John 6, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. What heavy water jug are you carrying that you are longing and waiting and just needing to set down so that you may take up the cup 
that is offered to you by Christ. The bread and life, the bread of life, and the living water he offers us, it is his love and grace given to us on a plate. And we are what we eat. In Jesus alone do we experience true fellowship. Just as at the table we experience true connection and belonging and we are known and loved and forgiven and redeemed. So how is your appetite, your spiritual appetite? Are you ruining your spiritual appetite by filling up on the junk of the world? Are you starving yourself and depriving your soul of the spiritual nutrition that it needs, that it craves? Because Jesus invites you to his table to feast and be filled with his transforming love. Will you accept his dinner invite? I pray that I do, that you do, that we do. And that when we approach our Savior, we come hungry. Because he is ready to fill us with what we need. Amen. As a part of this series, we're going to, I'm going to present to you a series of challenges to really walk the talk and to put these things into practice and to increase our connection and to share the blessing of the table. So I'll give you a heads up. In the future, you'll be asked to uh, invite a neighbor over to your house to eat. Maybe someone you've never eaten with before, even though you've lived next to them for 10, 20, 30 years. That's going to be a challenge down the road. There's going to be another challenge uh, next week about inviting someone from this church family over for a meal that you've never had in your home before to increase our connection. And so we'll talk more about that next week. This week, the challenge is to simply bless a neighbor with some unsuspected baked goods. Bless a neighbor with some baked goods this week. And my encouragement is to not overthink it. It doesn't even have to be your fanciest dessert. It can be a box of brownies from Harding's or Aldi or Meyer, wherever. <laughs> and I offer you this extra credit to write a small note, a simple note, Simply letting them know that you love being neighbors. Put yourself in their shoes. What a gift that would be to receive random baked goods with a sweet note. Don't we all want to know our neighbors and like them and like each other? Why don't we be the blessing? So my encouragement is for you to take up that challenge and report back to me how it went. And then finally, the other part of this series— There you will find at the back as you exit the sanctuary at the conclusion of worship a sheet of paper for each family or each individual to take home. And there are talking points to discuss around the table. Table talk. Hey! So I encourage you to take those and sometime this week have an intentional conversation with those that you eat with. Oh, but Pastor Kevin, I don't often eat with anyone. No problem. You are invited to either journal and reflect on those things yourselves or invite someone in. You could even do it on a Zoom call for those who are still not gathering, but the idea is to connect around the text with those around the table. So please grab one of those on your way out as well. Those are our challenges this week. Why don't we pray?
Father, we thank you for inviting us to your table. And God, we know when you roamed this earth, you actually didn't have your own physical table. You used everyone else's around you. And in this state of our practice of hospitality in the world, we're frightened by the idea of inviting ourselves over. But God, you have invited yourself over into our hearts and our minds. And oh my goodness, do we give you thanks for that truth. You know of our hunger and our thirst, Lord, because you created us and you know every single thing about us. You know all the ways we have tried to fill that hunger and thirst in ways that do not satisfy. So God, we pray that we can cast those things down and run once again to you at your table. We thank you for your love, that you're a God of grace and forgiveness and bounty, because there is always enough when we feast with you. May it be so in all of our lives, here and now, as we prepare to go into the week. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.